you will, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. We are in chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13 in just a moment. Again, uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 16, will begin in just a moment in verse 1. We should always be aware that when we speak, whether in the context of the gathered congregation, uh, whether it's uh, out in public, uh, socializing with our family and our business, whatever the context, uh, every believer should be aware that they're speaking to two different groups. They're those that are believers. They have been born again. They have been sealed with the Spirit of God. And there are those that aren't believers. They have not been born again. They have not been sealed with the Spirit of God. As we gather here today, uh, I am aware that I am speaking to both groups in the same place at the same time. And that uh, my desire is that I would communicate the gospel in such a way that is the truth that our hope is our crucified and resurrected Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that that the believer will be encouraged by that great reality and the unbeliever will be converted by that very same reality now the truth is as from context to context our approach will vary now Jesus himself, and certainly Paul and the other apostles, they could be very abrupt, very confrontive. I was just kind of thumbing back through the, uh, the dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus, and we probably, you think, well, you know, Jesus was really nice to that guy. And blah, blah. What are you talking about? Are you a teacher in Israel? My gosh! You don't get this? I mean, he could be pretty in your face and, and even with with the, the woman the Samaritan woman at the well uh, uh, yeah uh, you, you, you told me the truth uh, yeah you know you're, you're not married right now but you had a whole bunch of husbands I mean he can be very confronted and, and there's a side of me believing that a person is converted singularly uniquely by a work of the Spirit of God taking the truth of God there's really a side of me that just wants to walk out the door Go to the first door come to. If you're lost, you're going to die and go to hell. You need Jesus Christ. And if you don't do anything with it, tough. And go to the next door. Now most of you would say, Tim, you, do you realize how many people in my life have come to me and said, Tim, please don't do that. I mean, that is the story of my life. But do you, there is a reality to that, 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 that the imperishable seed and, and the work of the Spirit of God is not going to be frustrated by my ineptness, okay, thankfully. But we also find Jesus could be incredibly subtle. Uh, he could use humor. He, he could illustrate. And, you know, people will be just rocking on. Boy, this guy's a great storyteller and so cool and you know, hey, he's not as bad as I thought he was, and you know, and all of a sudden, wham! He's got you. And so, it's, it's very 
hard to tell. And, and as we look at what is going on in our text today, and I've just, when I first began to look at the text, I was going, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with this? Man. And then you grow to love it. And you go, I can't wait. I can't wait to get up here, which is pretty much true every Sunday. But Jesus could legitimately throw something out that was quite an enigma. And those that read it 2,000 years later or, or those that heard it 2,000 years ago could walk away. Did Jesus really say that? What? What did he, what did he mean by, by, by what he said? I mean, can we just basically stoop to any level that is possible to make money? That, that it, 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 we, there was a bit of an old thing among merchants and so forth growing up, a, kind of a summerable saying. Uh, the, the, the deal, if you're a businessman, is uh, get the dollar honestly. And if you can't get it honestly, just get the dollar. And, and, and think about that for just a minute. That wasn't bad. Okay, come on. But is Jesus saying that there's really no such thing as ethics and morality and that just as long as you come out on top, it's all good? Because I know you'll tithe on it and in the end it'll all work out well for us. And so Jesus says some things we've got to think about, even 2,000 years later. And he says whatever he says, and this is the goal of my life. Whatever he said was for the point of revealing the gospel. If, if I'm poking at you, if I'm kidding with you, there's a truth probably somewhere in there that I'm trying to get you to see that I may not think you're going to see unless I come at it in a little bit of a sideways approach. And so, whatever Jesus says was for the sake of the gospel. And that, needs to be, that, that truly needs to be the goal of everything we do. It's not only for Christ to be exalted, but whether it's very subtly and maybe with a little poke or a jab that somebody goes, oh, wait a minute, what did, what did he just say to me? But we say it for the sake is I want every person that I ha ever have the privilege of having an encounter with, I want them to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want them to be saved. And so let's look uh, this morning at this very strange story. Uh, Jesus, the master illustrator, uh, has a point that he wants to make for, for us. Uh, uh, my Bible has the parable of the dishonest manager. I, I put as a, uh, a title today the parable of the shrewd manager. Okay? And so let's read. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear, from, uh, I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors, 
one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended, uh, uh, the, master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are, are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, it is your word. You have given it to us, and you have given it for us, but ultimately uh, for your own glory, that by the exercise of your power, you take these truths which are communicated through the very limited capacity of a human preacher, and that you do that in our lives that can be done by no other fashion other than by a supernatural work of God. And so my prayer is that you would take this today and work in each of us for the eternal good of our soul and for your own glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have become a fan of the gospel writer Luke and his gospel. Uh, and, as, as providence would have it, uh, we have spent, I think, most of this year on Wednesday night in the companion to the gospel of Luke, the book of Acts. And so I feel like I've gotten to know Luke a little bit better. I, I told the Sunday school class this morning, uh, for a long time, I've been kind of a Paul guy, okay? Uh, and, and so I, I, I'm drawn to... to, to his, his writing and, and, and like his way of argumentation and so forth and so on. Uh, but, but I've become very enamored with this man, Luke. And I may misuse this term, but allow me to, to use it. And I'm gonna, but but he, he's truly a Renaissance man. Now, what I mean by saying that is a Renaissance man is a man that displays skill and excellence in many varied areas areas, okay? It is often said of the founders of this nation that they were true renaissance men. They were men of letters. They were men of science. They, they were men of business. And on and on it, it goes. And, and so we know that Luke is referred to by Paul as the beloved physician. That, that he had a basic understanding of whatever uh, passed for medicine in, in the ancient world. He knew something of uh, the human body and, and something of the science of the day. He's a man of letters, too. I, and, and now, remember, you know, obviously, I hope you understand and know that I am 
a, a vigorous defender and embracer of the, the fact that the Bible is inspired and errant and fallible. Okay? It is God's Word. Okay? Written by human authors. God wrote a perfect book through imperfect men. Okay? But, but something of their personalities does come, comes through their educational levels, their vocabulary, the, their, their experiences. And so we, we see this in Luke. He is a, a researcher, uh, an, an interviewer, and he, he's just, he has a different way of thinking through and recording the selected episodes from the life of the Lord Jesus. Usually, you know, people will say, now you've got the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, Luke, kind of telling the same story from three different perspectives. And you've got John, that's, he's a different one. He's out here all on his own doing all this. But, you know, there's a lot of material in Luke. A lot of the stories that he tells us, the parables, are unique uh, to Luke. And I must tell you, like me, Luke has an interest in money. Now, don't take that the wrong way, although in my life there's been a wrong way. But I enjoy talking to people about their businesses. I still look at the business news. I still try to understand what's going on because I find it fascinating. Okay, I find it interesting. I find it compelling. And, and I am very much a capitalist. I, I, I want people to thrive and to do well and prosper in, in the material realm. But Luke captured so much of Jesus' use of money and his use of that particular issue to teach essential, eternal truths. And so it is here. And so we see here, first of all, the, the parable, and, and, and we note there in verse 1, uh, the audience. Now, again, just as a stylistic and, and, and kind of a matter that intrigues me a bit, Luke will note, and he said to the crowd that followed him. And then he spoke to the disciples. And then he spoke to the crowd that was with him. And then he spoke to the disciples. Now, please understand this. When he's speaking to these disciples, those that have already aligned themselves and, 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 and been converted, okay, he's doing it in the presence of unbelievers, and he's saying what he says both for the benefit of the believer and the benefit of the unbeliever, okay? And, and we should too, okay? We, we, we should too. But, but here, Luke is aware that this parable's first application was to get the attention and to cause, at least internally, an inquiry as to what Jesus meant by what Jesus said. Okay? And, and so we see this, this uh, going back and forth, and Jesus begins to tell a story or a parable, a story that is given, is told for the point, of illustration for communicating typically, and we always need to be careful when we start you know, exegeting and, and pulling every little detail of a parable. Usually it's meant to illustrate one thing. Okay, just one, one main point, uh, just to hit hard. And, and so uh, Jesus begins, and, and we see here kind of the, the setting or the setup. Now you've heard me mention this, and many of you that, that follow me on Facebook saw that I got to visit with my old English teacher last week. Okay? She's not from England. She taught me English. And I know you can say bless her heart. She tried. But uh, 
one of the things that I remember is, is, is the elements of the short story. Short story. Sophomore literature. Literature 222 or something like that. And again, if, if you're going to analyze a story, you need to think of the characters and the setting and the conflict and the tone and on and on, the symbols, on and on it goes. And so here we can see very quickly, there's, this is not a short story, but it is a literary work. And so there's a setup, so to speak. And, and the setup is essentially the presentation of a situation between a wealthy man, a rich man, and a manager, a, a, a one that, that, that managed particular assets that he owned. Now, I don't think either of the main characters in the story are presented to, for you to be sympathetic to. Okay? That, that you're not to allow, oh, that poor old rich man, he, 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 got, he got cheated. Uh, oh, oh that, that, that man, that, that manager, he got fired, he got even. Yeah, that, that, that's not, not the point. In fact, the rich man, although he was cheated, I think the background is for, that he's not a sympathetic character. Isaiah the prophet. Woe to you who join house to house and field to field. Okay? Amos and I, oh, I love some of these things. You cows of Bashan. How would y'all like that? That's the way I opened my sermon. I mean, you know, people accuse me of not being a nice guy all the time, and I don't get it, but read the Bible, okay? But there was a sense, and, and God had set up a situation, and including the economy within Israel, in which uh, people were to, to, to share in the land and develop it. And, and while uh, there was a time that people could consolidate holdings, and sometimes uh, that, that worked out well for everybody involved, but the year of Jubilee was the time that the, all accounts were uh, resolved and sent back. And so the prophets were simply indicting people for their, their greed. And so I think the rich man represents... Greediness. Again, that's not an indictment of, of flourishing or prospering, but I'm just saying that he functions that way in the story. Just in, let me give you just my example. Y'all know I spent 20 years in the retail business, and within a year of opening a new store in my hometown of Somerville, Georgia, guess who came to town? Good old Uncle Sam. Good old Sam shows up driving his you know, 25-year-old pickup truck with old Roy sitting there in the front seat beside him, and he was here just to help us all out because he's a good guy. And as I told people, let me tell you something. Nobody gets to be a billionaire being a nice guy. Trust me on that. That not saying the guy was dishonest or unethical or didn't work hard, but let me tell you something. To succeed at that level, there's got to be a certain amount of brutality involved. And so, again, the guy, the rich man, is not a sympathetic character, okay? He's not, he's not in the story uh, to, to, to be uh, sympathetic. And, and so we find the, the other character is this manager, and we see there's, there's a conflict. What's the conflict? The manager's been cheating the owner. Now, I cannot tell you, over the course of my adult life, how many 
huge scandals. Uh, WorldCom, Enron, Health South. We could go on and on and on. Jefferson County, City of Birmingham. Yeah. Years ago, right, right as we were leaving Somerville, a clerk in the city office embezzled $500,000. Now, I don't know what the annual budget was of Somerville, but again, it wasn't Birmingham, Alabama. And Dale just kind of, you know, you, you dumb old people from Somerville, y'all ain't got enough sense to keep that woman from stealing you blind. <sighs> and then we moved to Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, boy. Hey, you just got bigger and smarter crooks down here. That's all I got to say about it, okay? And, and so y'all know that I went to the Jefferson County Commission. They asked me to pray. I prayed for that, that those that were incompetent would be removed and that were, those that were corrupt would be indicted. And they haven't invited me back to pray for them. I don't understand. I really don't. Go figure. So, I bet if you're a small businessman in this, in this room today, and I've probably told every small businessman I've ever met this, keep your eye on the checkbook. Sign the checks. I can't tell you how many, how many small business people I've known who've had funds embezzled. It's just a reality. It's just a reality. How many churches? Uh, again, small church up in Somerville, 50 grand. Secretary. Yeah. I mean, I'm, and I'm not talking about, you know, some of these huge mega churches in Birmingham with $10 million budgets. I'm talking about churches smaller budgets than us. So, so that, that, we get that. We, we, we understand that this guy has been fleecing the guy that entrusted him with caring for uh, these resources. And so he gets caught. He gets caught in the scam and in the scheme. And so we, we get some insight upon his dismissal as to how he's thinking. And this guy's no dummy, okay? He comes up with a plan. He has a scheme. I mean, uh, hey, this isn't his first rodeo, okay? Uh, listen, you know, uh, it amazes me when people do these kinds of things. It's like, you know you're going to get caught. I mean, one of, the, one of the guys in the Health South business, a, a friend of mine told me, and years after he'd gone to jail and gotten out and all, all this, and it's not my close friend, it's another guy that was involved in it, but he said, you can tell when you see him. He still thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. You better watch him. You better, I mean, it's just they, they think that way, okay? And, and so, again, what's this I hear about? You're fired. There was someone that said that on television. Well, a few years back. You're fired. You're done. You're finished. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you work for a major corporation today and they decide to terminate you, security shows up, gives you a cardboard box, and escorts you out the door. You know, I mean, that's, am, I, am I correct? And I've never worked for a major corporation, but I've just heard those things. Well, this guy, the owner gives him the opportunity, okay, get, get, get my stuff together. Turn it over to me because we're going on without you. You know, we're, we're not going to liquidate the business. We're, 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 we're going to get rid of you. You're the problem. And we're going to continue to go forward. And so we see beginning in verse, uh, verse 5 that as he deliberates this, and, he, and, and, he, and at least he's honest, uh, I'm too old. I've been sitting behind a desk too long to have to get out and dig. 
Yeah, I, 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 I've been pushing a pencil too long. I'm not physically able. And I got too much. I've, I've, I've been the big dog around here for a long time. I, I, I've, been the, I've been the lead dog. I can't go around begging. I'm too proud for that. So what am I going to do? Well, he's going to live by his wits. And so what he does, beginning in verse 5, is, and probably, it really sounds to me like what we would call kind of a sharecropper or tenant farmer arrangement where crops would be grown and the owner would get a percentage. Now, commentators really don't agree on what exactly the business arrangement was here in the parable. It doesn't matter that much, but that's what it kind of looks like to me. So he calls the first one in and inquires about how much he owed, and he said, a hundred measures of, of oil. And, and he said, well, take your bill and write down 50. Now, I did just, just some investigation, and, and that's about 875 gallons of oil. Now, again, uh, there wasn't a, a standard of measures. You know, uh, most states now, Department of Agriculture, they go around to your gas pumps, and they have a little jar with a line on it and pour the gas in it, and okay, uh, your, your, your gas gauge or your gas pump is accurate. And, and there's a standard about what a gallon is and what a gallon is not. Well, not so much in the ancient world, but the estimate, 875 gallons, about 1,000 denarii, which is about uh, three-plus years of what a laborer would earn uh, working. And, and so it is the produce of about 150 olive trees. And so this guy forgives, again, about what, 50, is it 50% of, of, the, of the debt, which is about a year and a half of wages. So just think about that. In other words, that's a chunk of change. That's a, that's a, that is a, a lot of, of money. And, and, and so does he, why does he do it? Well, if I treat them well while I've got this opportunity, then I set myself up with the golden parachute. Y'all heard that? I don't know what a golden parachute is. I've set myself up. I've, I've, I'm going to scheme enough uh, to do this. And here's the thing, what we miss. He puts the rich man in such a position, they, they, they think, man, I, I appreciate Mr. Big. He, he is so great and so benevolent. And, so he is so, and they go, Mr. Big, thank you. Thank you for cutting my bill in half. And Mr. Big can't go, what are you talking about? His pride keeps him from saying, oh, wait a minute. No, 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 no. His pride keeps him. They bragged on him. He's such a wonderful, good guy that he has to suck it up and let it go. So it's quite a good, a well-conceived scheme here. Well, he goes to the second one. Second one, and take your bill. He, he owes 100 measures of wheat. Take your bill and, and write it down to, to 80. And again, it's one of those things that, that it's about a year and a half wages if you work all the math out on it, okay? So a significant uh, amount of money. And so we're set up. There's a buildup. There's tension. The conflict creates tension, right? Okay, that's the way a story is supposed to work. Well, and what's going to happen? Well, the owner's going to find out. The rich man's going to find out, and this guy's going to get hammered. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're going to come take, uh, he's going to put him in jail and, and, and have him flogged publicly. And, and then we get this very strange, shocking. And again, the mastery of Jesus using incongruity and irony to capture our attention and give us this enigmatic response. I'm like, what? He, huh? He did what? Because 
What do we expect to see? You've had it. You're going to jail now. I was going to let you skate, but you're going to jail. Well, look at verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. What? He just lost the equivalent of three years of wages. Three years of annual income. And he said, hey, wish I'd have thought of that. And, that, and that's kind of the thing, you know, all of us have watched movies or read books in which there's a con or a scheme. I, I went back and it's been years since I've seen the movie The Sting, okay? But again, it's about a con, okay, about, about a cheating deal. But again, the guy that got cheated deserved to be cheated. But sometimes we hear of someone that does something dishonest and, and they, 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 they get by with it and, and they go off and, you know, they, they sail off in, to the Caribbean on their sailboat and live on the millions they stole for the rest of their life. And, and again, we go, oh, that's terrible. That was thievery. But there's somewhere in your mind you go, that guy was pretty sharp. That was slick. That, that, was, a, that was a slick plan. Now, you know what? Y'all are looking at me spiritual. Do not look at me spiritual. I know how you think. Okay? All right? So just move forward. So the, the, uh, the, the rich man is like, oh, wow. Okay. I, I, uh, you got me. You got me. I, you, you have checkmated me because I can't, I can't renege, and I, I know what the outcome is. You, you, you have set yourself up with a retirement plan at my expense, and I have to admire you for that. Well, so that's the parable. That's the setting. That's the characters. Now, here's the explanation. Look at the second part of verse 8. Jesus explains. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. That ungodly people, because they're ungodly, understand the, the fallenness of the world and they know how to work the system to their advantage. And it doesn't matter what system it is. Okay? Kids learn how to manipulate administrators and teachers in the school system to get their way. I see a nod back there. Amen. Yes. Absolutely. People learn. I mean, again, the, the, the whole health scam. A guy understood how the system worked. He told the CEO, I worked as a, a, an a examiner, a, an auditor, with one of the big ones, okay? And they do not even care about anything in terms of a financial entry if it's under $5,000. And that rascal went down into the basement of those offices and started entering in a ton of revenue, all $4,999.99 or less, and pumped in millions of dollars of fake revenue. He understood the system. He knew where the holes were in the system. He worked the system. Of course, he got caught, and the whole crowd did. But, but, but fallen, unbelieving people, since all they've got is the world, they, they learn how to utilize uh, the world. And, that, and that's, in a way, that's uh, 
That's bad news for us, and that we're at a disadvantage. Uh, that, that, that because of what God has done in our life, we see things from a different perspective. We understand that this world and the system that drives this world is temporary and it's falling away. It will disappear. It will not endure in eternity. That it will burn up in the fire. And so, let's look a little further. Verse 9. And then Jesus turns this just a, just a bit. I tell you now, here's a principle I want you to get from the story Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. As I said, Luke's very interested in money. Bible's interested in money. Now, you've heard me say this many times in the last couple of years. Apart from Christ, the opening lines of the book of Ecclesiastes are absolutely 100% correct. Vanity it is all vanity. I may build it. I may keep it. I may earn it. But who knows? Some fool's going to get it after I die. I mean, what difference does it make what I do? But in Christ, that which is vanity, that which is temporary, can be by exchange of currency. Anybody, if you've been to a foreign country, first thing you've got to do, we need some money. You go to whatever, sometimes financial institution, you take your dollars and you turn it into euros or whatever else that you may need so you can participate in the economy. Because of Jesus, you could live in this fallen economy, this temporary economy, but you may exchange the way that you integrate yourself, the way you involve yourself, the way you utilize this fallen world economy. You may take that currency and you may buy for yourself that which will endure for all of eternity. And all God's people got real happy and clapped and said, hey, that's great. I've been busting my chops for 50 years thinking it was all going to go to nothing. But there's something of value. And all God's people said, hey, Big deal. Big whoop. Is that not great news? That yes, we live in a fallen world and nobody is going to follow your hearse with a U-Haul it. Okay? You're going to leave it here. But God allows for the fact that you can participate and utilize the, the things of this world and you use it in a way that honors God and has eternal value, that, that actually the use of money, your attitude toward money, is a great thermometer that will tell you your spiritual temperature. Do you realize that? The, the way that you look at your work life, the way that you look at your handling of money, if you'll be honest and analyze it, I've told you this before, bring me, bring me your check stubs and bring me your credit card receipts and I'll tell you what you love. Okay? Yeah. And so it's a great barometer. But God says, yes, you live in this fallen world. It's not exactly what I planned. It's not Eden where you were going to have just kind of an easy labor. You're going to work because work is good. You were created for work, but it's going to be hard as heck. It's going to frustrate you. People are going to steal from you. The bugs are going to kill it. The whole nine yards. Everything's going to happen. But you can provide for your family because what? To fail to provide for your family is to be worse than an infidel. If, if a man will not work, don't let him eat. I wish somebody would tell that bunch in Washington that. Honest to goodness, I wish they'd tell, they'd tell that bunch in Washington. A lot of other things too. Mainly, go home. But anyway, another story for another day. But the, 
that He's given you this opportunity to, to give to what God is doing in the, the world, to give back in, the term, in, in terms of tithes and offerings. But, but even beyond that, not just tithes and offerings, just by the way that you provide for your family and the way you live, you can give a testimony to the fact that you're not of this world, that you get the fact that, that you are distinct, that you do not think like the world, you do not have the same values, the world is not going to define you, you're not going to live by its agenda. And God says that you can exchange this fallen currency of this fallen system for that which you shall enjoy for all of eternity. That is what he's saying there. This guy, he set himself up for a retirement plan. God says, while you're participating in the system, you be shrewd enough about the realities of the system and the reality of the coming age that you're able to take what you do within this realm and apply it to the retirement benefits available to you in the next realm. Man, I'm working hard. Y'all are killing me. Y'all are absolutely killing me today. And so... He begins to further explain. Take what is necessary to live in this world, the unrighteous will, and exchange it, utilize it, earn it, keep it, invest it, utilize it for the things that you need in such a way that God will be honored and you will be blessed through all of eternity for that. And he goes on and explains just a, kind of a, a principle here. One who is faithful in very little the things of this world, the things, you know, when it comes to money or business or, you know, ownership of things, if you're unfaithful in those little things, if you're dishonest, then you'll be dishonest in the things that are really important. If you can't show a certain fidelity to, to a biblical view of these things, you're never going to be entrusted with, with that which is valuable. They're, they made a movie years ago, of the old comic book, Richie Rich, okay? And, and kind of toward the end, the kind of the final thing was these thieves wanted to get the, the rich, the family name Rich, get their wealth. It was stored in a mountaintop vault. And so they finally figure out how to get in there, and they break into the vault, and they find what they find is not gold and silver and stocks and money, they find the things that give testimony to the value of their family. Things that really ultimately matter. In other words, the, the point of the story was they understood that money is not ultimate, but they're things that are transcendent and they are ultimate. You must use things that are temporary, but you use them with a view toward that which is ultimate. And that is a, that is a great area of confusion even in the church Today, we look at that which is necessary to live in a fallen world, but we confuse it with that which is ultimate, okay? And we need to be able to have categories. This is temporary. It's necessary for the day. I'm going to do whatever I've got to do to, to flourish and prosper in a way that honors God with a view toward that which is ultimate. And so we need to be clear on what those things are. And so... Why do you not own the things of God? Why do you not appreciate that which is eternal? Because you don't even get it at the lower level. All right, verse 11. 
If then you've not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with that which is uh, true riches? Again, verse 12, you go to work for a franchise, you know, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, whatever. They put you in a store, work up, and they finally say, you have proven that you're going to be faithful, you're diligent, you have integrity, you have a great work ethic, we're going to send you to Timbuktu, and you're going to get your own store now to manage. Because what? You've proven yourself faithful at the lower level. It's not, well, man, you show up late, and you, you look like you've been out all night, and, and, and you don't do anything right. Well, gosh, man, you know, uh, this, this is not the United States government. We don't, we're not going to reward incompetency. We're, we're not, we're not, we're not going to promote you just because you're, you, know, you can fog up a mirror. Uh, but you do well here. And we'll see to it that you have an opportunity to even do better. And so that's a, a biblical principle right there. I mean, that's a cool principle is, is when, you know, young people, when you get that job that you hate, even if they put you in the hazmat suit and say, go clean the toilets, okay? Even if you're doing that, do it well for the glory of God with a view toward the fact that if you do well there, you may get something better. In fact, it's very likely that you will get something better and you will honor your God. When people say, why do you work so hard cleaning that stupid toy? I just try to get in there. I just take a hose pipe and run out and just leave. Because that's nasty, disgusting. Why do you work so hard doing that? Because I serve a great and excellent Savior who does all things well. And all God's people were just like, you know, what time's the kickoff? All right. So we see this logic. Verse 13, final, final thing. The principle. Heavy. 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 No servant can serve two masters. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be overly cute here, but just so you get it. You can't be for Auburn and Alabama at the same time. You get it? I mean, I'm not trying to be, you know, smart aleck, but I mean, that's the way it works in sports. It's crazy. You know, and I've gotten to the point in my life, I'm for my teams and nobody else. I mean, I just, you know, I, I you know, uh, and, and I used to, oh, I like this guy and I like, I don't like nobody that plays on the other team. I mean, I don't like Tom Brady. I, I don't like Aaron Rodgers. I, I don't like, you know, I mean, you name it. I don't like any of these guys. Okay? And, <laughs> but again, I'm loyal to my team. I want them to win. Do you, are you, you get the picture? You can't. A, a, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Well, yeah, I love Jesus, but I, you know, I'm, no. It, it simply will not work. Your ultimate allegiance, even living in this world and having to punch the clock tomorrow at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock, whenever you punch that clock, you have to do that. That's a part of life in, a, in, the, in this world. But your ultimate master is not the guy that signs your checks. Your ultimate master to whom you will give an account is our Lord Jesus Christ. Get that straight. Why? Just a practical thing. Your loyalty to be divided. And again, we see that whole business of love and hate again. You'll love one, hate the other. I mean, you know, 
I didn't want Tuscaloosa to get flooded out yesterday. I mean, I don't hate them. I don't want anything bad to happen to them, really, seriously. But my affection for the loveliest city on the plains far surpasses anything. Do you see what I do you understand what I'm saying? You'll love one and hate the I don't I don't hate Alabama or hate you know, I don't really I, I'm just but but I want Auburn to win. That that's the way it works. I'm gonna die up here today. It's gonna be your fault. You can't serve two masters. You can't have divided allegiances. At the end of the day, it will be exposed. You said you loved everybody and everything and everyone, but no, the reality is you loved one and you hated the other. That's the way it is, period. End of subject. And so, you cannot serve God. And the, I like the old word. If you're, you're a King James guy, I think the word mammon is still in there, which I, I believe is a transliteration, if I remember right, of, of, of the Greek there. And, and so, and I think, as I understand it, we, we think of dollars and cents or stocks and bonds. But I think mammon encompasses you cannot love as ultimate the entirety of this fallen world system. The power, the popularity, the pleasures, the whole encompassing thing. If that is your ultimate, then it will be destroyed by the fire. And so, again, what's the point? Jesus is saying to these disciples, no, Peter, you're a fisherman. Don't put rocks in the bottom of the net. And, and when you weigh the fish, uh, you know, it says you've got 100 pounds of fish when you've only got 50 pounds. Yeah, that's shrewd. But it's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm making an analogy. I'm saying be shrewd about the realities of the necessities of living in this world and realize that you may take that which is temporary and buy for yourself that which is permanent. Okay? That is what he's wanting us to understand. To understand the distinctions between the necessities of living in this world and the realities of having as our ultimate affections. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ the glory of our Heavenly Father, and the realities of eternity. And so, yes, it is a bit of an enigma. First time you read it, go, huh? But think about it. And think of it, in, in my world, as one who went through the frustrations at, at a fair, is this all, why am I doing this? Why am I killing myself? That, that, yes, we must live in this world and we must do a lot of things. Some, some of it's pleasurable, some of it's not so pleasurable. But everything that we do, if it's done for the glory of God, it will have value. And it, listen, it, it won't suffer from inflation. It won't suffer from stagflation. It won't suffer from depression. It will be valuable all the way into eternity. I think that's good news, folks. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth, for even the example by which you taught that you, you many times uh, went meandering around the issues 
and the subject and then came back to make the crucial point. At the end of the day, everything matters. And that's good news. That while so much of our life can seem so mundane, that everything about our life can count for eternity. We thank you for that truth. We thank you that because that it, that we that that is true because of a savior who died on a cross to purchase us out of slavery to sin. We thank you for your goodness and for your grace and we lift this prayer in Jesus name.